Welcome back. Uh, we praise God that uh, we have re-established uh, connection. I was watching a uh, documentary from National Geographic about the early space program, and uh, one of the things about those uh, early capsules, I think right now as well, when they re-enter the Earth, they lose communication for at least a few minutes because of the intense heat. And uh, I'm not sure whether you lost us or we lost you over cyberspace, but uh, we are back together and we praise the name of the Lord that we can worship Him and um, come back together as one people to uh, come to His Word. Let's uh, commit this time to the Lord. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our strength and gracious Redeemer. In Jesus' name, Amen. Well-known leadership expert John Max Maxwell rightly says, an organization cannot grow beyond its leader. In the last few weeks, we have seen the importance of spiritual leadership to the life of a nation or community of God's people. Under the spiritual leadership of Eli and his corrupt sons, the spiritual life of the nation of Israel was under a cloud. It was as if the spiritual progress of the nation was hindered by the very leaders that should have been the catalyst for their spiritual growth and blessings. Instead, the spiritual and moral failure of Israel's leaders proved a stumbling block and an obstacle to the spiritual growth of the nation. We then saw how God began to renew the spiritual life of the nation by raising Samuel as a prophet and spiritual leader of the nation while removing the leadership of Eli and his sons. This then led to a time of spiritual renewal. Where the, Lord, uh, where the people repented and rededicated themselves to the Lord and enjoyed his deliverance uh, under Samuel's leadership as Pastor Shern preached two weeks ago. However, when Samuel grew old, the people demanded a king so that they can be strong and united in the face of threats they saw around them. As Pastor Ronald preached last week, this amounted to their lack of trust in God and a rejection of God as their true king. In his mercy, God agreed to their request and prepared a human king for the people of Israel. But what kind of king would God choose and how would God prepare the chosen king to be the leader of his people? And so the big idea for today is that God prepares and builds a leader for times of growth and adversity. As Pastor Ronald pointed out last week, God's people had acted presumptuously in demanding for a king in a way and time of their own choosing, instead of trusting in God as their ultimate king and protector. They had done an evil thing in rejecting God. But yet, God in His everlasting mercy provides for their security by letting them have a king. It's a compromised, non-ideal situation but God, in His sovereign grace, allows a human king to secure His people even though they had rejected His direct protection and providential care. And so just think about this for a moment. God is the one who had been wronged by His people. He is the aggrieved party. And yet He cannot hold back His love and care for His people. And so we read in 1 Samuel chapter 9, verse 16, that God spoke to Samuel regarding Saul. Anoint him ruler over my people Israel. 
he would deliver them from the hands of the Philistines. I've looked on my people, for their cry has reached me. If you're familiar with the, uh, the story of the Exodus, this was exactly how God um, described his care and concern of his people to Moses. I have heard the cry of my people. So this is a comp compromised, non-ideal situation, but God was the one who chose Saul to be king because he was concerned over the welfare of his people. Even though we now know that Saul eventually failed as a leader, we must not assume that Saul was a failure from the start or doomed to fail as God's punishment on the people. No, 1 Samuel chapter 9, verse 16 that we just read clearly shows that God was genuinely concerned about his people. And God prepared Saul to be a leader to govern his people. Again, the fact that Saul fell away later in disobedience and failure must not prevent us from learning how God prepared him as a leader. And so as a point of application, we want to draw out lessons for us in thinking about spiritual leadership today. Specifically, we're going to look at three key ways that how God prepares a spiritual leader. First, anointing. Second, appointment. And third, adversity. First, there must be anointing for leadership. A spiritual leader must be anointed by God's Spirit. The need for leadership is a constant. As long as we have families, schools, companies, nations, leadership, whether good or bad, is a critical factor in determining outcomes. Success, failure, stagnation, or loss. But more than just leadership in general, we want to look at spiritual leadership in particular. Henry and Richard Beckerby defines this as moving people onto God's agenda. A spiritual leader then does not have a personal agenda, but God's agenda and vision for his people. In our passage today, God raises Saul as the first king to deliver the nation from enemies that threaten to destroy the nation and thereby extinguishing God's divine plan for Israel. Now, because Israel's kings are not to have their own agenda in mind, but God's divine agenda, their lives must be transformed to be aligned with God's purposes. They must be equipped to carry out God's instructions and desires, no matter how humanly difficult or impossible it may seem. This is where God's anointing comes in. God led Saul to Samuel, where the old prophet explained to Saul that God had chosen him to be the king of Israel. And then Samuel explained the nature of the anointing that Saul was to receive in 1 Samuel chapter 10, verse 6. The Spirit of the Lord will come powerfully upon you and you'll be changed into a different person. In verse 7, we read that Paul will be empowered to do whatever he needs to do because God will be with him. True enough, Saul started to experience God's anointing the moment he left Samuel. In verse 9, we read, as Saul turned to leave Samuel, 
God changed his heart. And in the next verse, we read that Saul later encountered a group of prophets. The Spirit of God came powerfully on him and that he began to prophesy and with the company of prophets. What this means is that the anointing of God's Spirit on Saul changed his heart, transformed and empowered him to carry out the task of leadership that God prepared for him to do as king. Now, why is this important? God assigns tasks or work that often seems humanly impossible or requires extraordinary amounts of patience and perseverance. I know some of you are thinking that sounds a lot like parenting, doesn't it? Anything that involves raising and leading people according to God's design would involve what we, may, we might take as impossibilities and, and require almost, almost an, uh, infinite levels of perseverance and patience. Before his anointing, Saul was staggered by the weight of God's calling on his life. Even after the first encounter with God's Spirit, Saul tried to hide himself on the day of his appointment as king. The life and destiny of the nation now rested on his shoulders. So who can be equal to such a task? The 12 tribes of Israel, for one thing, were used to governing themselves to a large degree. Even though they had now requested for a king, there was no guarantee that the tribes will fully cooperate with the new king. Tribal pride and rivalry would need strong, decisive leadership from the king. And then there's this life and death matter of facing hostile and violent nations around them. A king would be expected to lead them into battle, deliver victories for Israel, or else quickly lose support. For Saul, all these challenges might have seemed to be overwhelming. One might even describe Saul's initial response as timid. But when the time of challenge came, when an enemy tribe attacked one of Israel's towns, what we read in uh, 1 Samuel chapter 11, verse 6, this is how Saul responded to the news. When Saul heard their words, the words bringing the bad news of uh, their town being besieged, the Spirit of God came powerfully on him, and he burned with anger. Saul immediately demanded all troops of the various tribes to muster around him, making it clear that he would not accept any excuses or objections, and then went out to battle and won a great victory. The timid Saul would not have managed to summon an army, much less take it out to battle and win the great victory. It was not in his personality and nature to have such leadership abilities. It was directly a result of God's Spirit coming powerfully on him. Proverbs 21 verse 1 says, <clears throat> A king's heart is a stream of water in the hand of the Lord. It turns it wherever he will. As king, Saul is not free to do whatever he wants. He's constrained and directed by God's sovereign will. He can choose to rebel against God's ways, as Saul eventually did to his ruin. 
but God's Spirit moves the heart of a submissive king to act with justice and righteousness. <clears throat> we see this in Paul's initial, initial responses to those who opposed him. Some had opposed his rule and refused to recognize his authority. After the great victory, Saul was established in the sight of the people, and his supporters wanted to put the opposers, the dissenters, to death. But Saul responded this way in 1 Samuel chapter 11, verse 13. No one will be put to death today, for this day the Lord has rescued Israel. A king has no agenda except God's agenda. He's, he's not there actually to establish his own rule. He is there to establish God's rule. And so as our first reflection question, how has God shaped you to be a spiritual leader for your family, your school, your company, or in church? And for the kids, what are the important things that a leader should do? Second, a leader is appointed by God. God appoints spiritual leaders to have public impact. God appoints a leader because God intends to impact a specific community or the whole nation. It's common to have public appointment of leaders that God has chosen for a particular task. As you recall, for example, last month we had the LCC and small group leaders installation service in church, and this is a public appointment of leaders whom God has called to specific ministries in church. 
God may also call you to leadership outside the church. For example, in a company, in a school, in a public office. This often also involves a public appointment so that you may be officially recognized in a position of authority. We also recognize that there are many spiritual leaders today whom God calls and appoints for impact who do not necessarily hold an official title. There are spiritual leaders today in homes, churches, and offices whom God is using to bless and transform lives under their care. Whether or not there's an official title or ceremony, the most important thing for a spiritual leader is that God is the one who makes the appointment, who places a leader in a position of influence or impact. For Saul, Samuel first arranged for a ceremony to publicly appoint and declare Saul to be king over Israel. Samuel publicly pointed out to Saul to the leaders and peoples of Israel's tribes so that they would know that Saul was the one whom God had anointed king over them. In 1 Samuel chapter 10, verse 24, we read, Samuel said to all the people, Do you see the man that the Lord had chosen? There is no one like him among all the people. And then the people responded, Long live the king. Now, two things usually happen upon an appointment of a leader. Supporters who will follow and opposers who will resist the leader. And then you have the fence-sitters and neutrals in between. The appointment must therefore involve a gathering of followers or those whom God has placed under a leader. Again, God may call you to be a spiritual leader without an official position or title. If you have people look to you for guidance, support, um, advice, uh, you are a, a leader. From that moment of appointment, God stirred the hearts of brave and courageous men to support and follow Saul. In 1 Samuel chapter 10, verse 26, we read that after Saul's appointment as king, Saul also went, home to his home, uh, Saul also went to his home in Gibeah, accompanied by valiant men whose hearts God had touched. A leader can only be as strong as his core supporters. And so God raised up a core group of supporters who would become his first loyal followers. If and when God calls you to spiritual leadership in a specific area, God will move the hearts of those who will closely support you and encourage you with prayers, counsel, and practical help. Many of those who support and follow you as leaders, they themselves are leaders in their own right, who have been raised by God to co-labor with you in the work that God has entrusted to you. In a church context, when we ask ourselves whether a specific ministry can be started or expanded, it is always a good guide to see if God has convicted the hearts of a few spiritual leaders or visionaries who can pioneer the work, plus a core team who will commit to the work. If there's no evidence of either a leader or a core team of committed helpers, then either we haven't received God's calling to start 
or that God has called, but neither the leaders or the members are ready to move forward. It is also often the case that when God raises you as a leader to a specific task, there will be those who doubt your leadership or outright, outright oppose it. In 1 Samuel 10, 27, we find that there were those who opposed Saul and they said, how can this fellow save us? They despised him and brought him no gifts as is customary for uh, a new king. But, God, uh, but Saul kept silent. He kept his peace. As we saw earlier, a spiritual leader does not work on his or her own agenda. He or she has God's agenda in mind. In this case, Saul did not choose to fight with the opposition or he did not react to them. And this was perhaps because God's spirit was uh, directing him. Saul knew perhaps that if God appointed him, then God would be the one who would eventually establish him in the sight of the people. When you're called to do God's work, you can expect opposition. But you do not need to take offense or to be too defensive. Don't waste time and energy trying to defend your track record. If God has called you, He will establish the work. You only have to be faithful to Him. Because again, you're not running your own agenda. You're working on God's agenda with those whom God has placed under your leadership. Of course, you need to be sensitive, discerning. If there are rightful criticisms, obviously we take it on board. But don't waste your time and energy trying to explain everything to all those who oppose you. Trust in the Lord, be faithful to what the Lord has entrusted to you. And so, a second reflection question is this. Who has God placed around you who look to you for spiritual leadership? Are you providing that needed leadership? And for the kids, who are some of the leaders in your life? Why are they important to you?
Third, God raises a leader to serve in times of adversity. If you are a spiritual leader, an important part of God's call for you is to provide leadership and comfort in times of difficulty and uncertainty. Your anointing and appointment equips you to face adversity and to bring God's people through that adversity. We saw earlier in 1 Samuel chapter 9, verse 16, that God called Saul specifically because he heard the cry of his people and wanted to anoint Saul as king to deliver them from their enemies. Saul came to be king in a time of adversity and danger for the people of Israel. The people were wrong to reject God as their king, but their fears of enemy threats were not exaggerated. This was a time when the power of the sword and wholesale violence were means where each tribal group secured itself from another or against another. The key role of a leader in times of crisis is to see the path forward for his people, to comfort the fearful, to governize the strong, to provide a strategy of surviving or winning against the odds. In other words, a leader must have a vision of success in the midst of the storm. More than this, a spiritual leader must take on God's vision for his people and what God requires of his people in moments of crisis or in seasons of change and growth. In the crisis of the threat recounted in 1 Samuel chapter 11, we won't go there in much detail, but this threat in this particular instance uh, was, was from the Ammonites, and then we read that God's spirit came powerfully on Saul so that he was transformed and empowered to be the king and leader that Israel needed at that pivotal moment of danger. He governized the strong. He delivered and comforted the fearful who were threatened by this enemy. And he had a winning strategy against the Ammonites on the day of battle. And if the role of the spiritual leader is to have that vision of what needs to be done and how to do it, then the heart of the leader, the heart of the spiritual leader must be to protect those under his or her care. That's why the image of the shepherd is often used to describe God and his appointed leaders. To put it simply, as spiritual leader, you are called to do more for the sake of others and to worry more on behalf of others under your care. The tasks that you do make it easier for others to be safe or successful. The worry that you take on shields them from taking on too much worry for themselves. Earlier on, we, we are, of course, grateful to Brother Chu Hin and uh, Brother Pang Kwan. They kind of um, designed the ventilation of this sanctuary to make it safe. They worry on our behalf so that when we step into this sanctuary, it will be a safer environment. They had to do that hard work and that worry on our behalf. 
you have Sujin and Daniel and the uh, SOP working group and the church office, they had to worry on our behalf how to make our SOPs a little bit safer. So that we come in, we follow the instructions, but they did all the worrying and the sweating. Whenever you have a technical issue, as we did have earlier, then you can be sure that the AV team at the back there, they are sweating bullets, worrying on our behalf how to get things back online. But essential task of a leader is to carry the burden for his people. But it's important as a leader not to carry that burden yourself. You will have the burdens of your people on your shoulders, but it is your task as a leader to bring that in prayer before the Lord so that you leave the burden with the Lord. You cannot bear it yourself. The Lord will shoulder the burden even as you put and intercede the requests and the fears of your people to the Lord. Recently, I was watching a documentary on BioNTech, who was the first to, re to release the mRNA-based COVID vaccine uh, in partnership with Pfizer. And so those of us with the Pfizer jab, we have BioNTech to thank for better or for worse. Uh, they were one of the actual pioneers in the field. But BioNTech did not start to, uh, in, in, in its corporate life to create COVID vaccines. They actually specialize in developing these mRNA drugs for cancer treatment. In the initial crisis of the then emerging COVID situation and outbreak in Wuhan, the CEO of this company, Ugo Sahin, who is a medical scientist himself, caught the vision of using their mRNA method to fight against the COVID virus because he foresaw that many will be affected by this new disease, even though the situation then was still confused and some were downplaying the risk of a global pandemic. When he shared this vision of what needed to be done with his team, there were many objections, mainly because most of his scientists and team thought it was impossible. This was totally different from what they were working on in terms of cancer treatment research. But he governized his team of scientists and set them on a path of success in a race against time. Every step must be successful because the company was committing funds in a highly risky and untried procedure. At one point, there was a major failure in one of their key biological processes to make the mRNA viable in the human body. They basically lost two weeks of work that they could hardly afford to lose. And they had to start from scratch. And the senior operations uh, vice president had to call this CEO, Sahin, early on a Sunday to break the devastating news that they just wasted two precious weeks of work. Basically, it went all down the drain, literally went down the drain, and now had to do everything all over again. Now, many of you have worked with or worked for various kinds of bosses, including highly driven ones. When a time-sensitive, highly critical operation fails, you might expect heads to roll and a lot of yelling, etc. Right? You've been there, done that. But this senior operations guy said that CEO's first response was the poor team. The poor team. He felt for his people. He felt their devastating disappointment without assigning blame and demanding for heads to roll. 
He took on the worry and consequences of potentially having to explain to their board of directors and investors that more time and money was needed. He shielded his people from the immediate consequences of their setback. Vision in times of crisis, governizing the team, worrying more on their behalf during setbacks and a winning strategy. That is the essence of leadership. How much impactful then when spirit-empowered spiritual leaders step into positions of influence in churches, companies, government schools, and families. I'd like to share the results of a recent survey with CEOs that not surprisingly showed a spike in their anxiety in managing the pace of change and uncertainty in today's environment. In fact, about 72% of them said they feared for their own jobs, actually, moving forward. But one particular finding, 94% of the executives, the CEOs, say that their business models need to change within the next three years, but 57% fear that their company isn't adapting fast enough. I'd like to do a thought exercise with you. This is not real. This is just a thought exercise. But what if 94% of pastors and church leaders say that their ministry and church models need to change within the next three years? But 57% fear that their church is not adapting fast enough. Let's assume that this thought exercise turns out to be fairly accurate. How much more now? perhaps more than ever before, do we need spiritual leaders to step up and serve where God has called us to be? We don't have to worry about whether the church itself will survive. The, the gospel remains unchanged and the gates of hell still cannot prevail against the church. But we need more spiritual leaders to live up to their calling so that our local church community can reach more and impact more for the kingdom of God in this season of relentless uncertainty and change. One final point. In our study of kings and leaders in the Bible, it's obvious that they are imperfect human beings just as we are. Even David, whom we will encounter later, a man after God's own heart, was imperfect. But because of God's Spirit working in some of these leaders, they point forward to the only perfect King, <clears throat> Jesus, our Messiah. And so we keep our faith and eyes fixed on Jesus as our Lord and King as we continue to step into our calling as spiritual leaders. And so for our last reflection question, how does having Jesus as your king help you overcome difficult times as you lead others? And for the kids, why is it important for leaders to be like Jesus?
I'd like to say a quick prayer for those of you who are in positions of spiritual leadership in your own family, in a company, in a school, or in an organization or in church. We have been through a rough patch over the last two years. Every aspect of our lives has been impacted. And it would be unusual if we didn't feel a little bit overwhelmed. And I'd like to pray that we can come before the Lord and remember and remind ourselves that it is His agenda, it is His work, and a fresh anointing of His Spirit. I'd also like to pray for those whom God has convicted to step up into positions of spiritual leadership and that you're still struggling with that decision. I'd like to pray that the Lord might give you that anointing and that assurance that He will go with you he will equip you for the task that he has convicted you to do. Let's commit our hearts now before the Lord and I invite you, those of you who are struggling uh, in terms of your spiritual leadership, that we come afresh before the Lord. We are not perfect. We fail all the time, but God is gracious to lift us up again. And so, Lord, we come before you. A lot of us have been struggling and we feel our spirits broken our hearts broken and our lives distorted by what is happening all around us. And we feel the strain of caring for those under our care, whether it's our own families or the church or a company or a school. Father, you know all things. Heal our wounds as leaders Forgive us our mistakes and things that we have not done that is right. Forgive us the times that we have not trusted in you and given into despair or discouragement. Father, we pray that you will impart upon us your Holy Spirit, that you anoint and refresh our hearts as spiritual leaders, that you will grant us the shepherd's heart, the servant's heart to serve and love and care for those that you have placed under us. And we pray, O oh Lord, that in our moments of anxiety and uncertainty, that you impart your vision upon our hearts, that you grant us the path forward for our people. Loving Father, we also want to come before you as those who have been called and convicted to step up into leadership, Lord, it's not easy when we think about the cost of leadership. But Lord, we have one life to live for you and we don't want to let this opportunity pass. And so Lord, even as we come before you, we pray for the anointing, for the empowering presence of your Holy Spirit that we will take the step of faith. If you have entrusted the work to us, grant us the courage and faith, Lord, to step into the ministry, the calling and the leadership that you have convicted us on. Lord, we give you thanks and praise, asking all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. And so in conclusion, know that God prepares us and builds us as spiritual leaders. And be prepared to take on more spiritual leadership roles and serve sacrificially.
for the sake of others. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.